Welcome to the Talking Fit Podcast, a show dedicated to helping all of you become the strongest version of yourselves in and out of the gym. We hope that today's show can help bring you one step closer to your goals with the education brought to you by our guests, crew, and community. Please don't forget to leave us a five-star review and rating wherever you find your podcasts and share the show with your friends and family. Remember that greatness comes from small beginnings. So without further ado, here we go. Welcome back to the Talking Fit Podcast. This is Rogan Allport and I sit down today for episode 21 with CrossFit certification coach Ray Regno. Talking to Ray was just such a blast because we got to talk about our own different um, ideologies of coaching. We got to sit down and talk about our own opinions on the latest controversy of the whole Greg Glassman CrossFit uh, fiasco, which has just been a very weird thing to watch from the outside looking in. And he gives a very, very cool and unique perspective from someone who has not just made a living off the success of CrossFit HQ, but has also had so much of his coaching philosophy and his own independent thought be developed by what CrossFit is as a movement. And we talk about the the difference between CrossFit as a brand and CrossFit as a movement, the community as something that ultimately will survive whether HQ is there or not. And it was just such it's such a great conversation. I'm so excited to be able to share this with you. So we're just going to get straight into it. And yeah, once again, you know, I hope Ray is listening back to this because, man, it was, it was just so cool getting to finally chat to someone who I've been following on Instagram for a while now. And he's just, yeah, he's just such a cool dude. And enough of me, enough of what I'm saying. Let's get to it. This is Ray Regno. This is Talking Fit. Like, first things first, man, I just want to say, like, thank you so much for jumping on. Like, it was such a weird flex when I um, sent out that uh, that message to you on the gram. And I was just like, well, I mean, you know, I'm restarting the podcast. You know, the worst that he can say is no. And to get an immediate response was just, like, mind-blowing. So thank you so much for taking the time. People always tell me that. They're like, I can't believe you replied. I'm like, why weren't I replied? Right. <laughs> yeah, I know. And, like, it's one of those weird things, I think, where... You know when you have that sort of weird, almost pseudo celebrity effect that you get from um, you get from Instagram. You know what I mean? Where I think, like in my industry, when I came across you on the Barbell Shrug podcast, and then I heard you again on Julian Pinot's uh, Strong Fit podcast, I was just like, "Oh my god, this guy—he gets it! Like he completely gets it." The holistic coaching model is an entire three hundred and sixty thing, and I was like, "Amazing! I need to—I need to find a way to talk to this guy." But I think because you see someone who's got like, you know, their following's bigger, they have more reach. You almost get that weird sort of like um, dissociation between you and them and going, you know, would they, would they really respond to me? Would they really respond? You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, I get it. Yeah, sometimes people don't respond at all. And that's mm. like, it kind of sucks. I don't I mean, I figure, I mean, 99% of my business was built on Instagram. And so I, I know how, how valuable it is to, respond to instagram and so when people ask me actually in fact i met my fiance on instagram oh man that is so cool <laughs> she was uh she was messaging me for like months and i was just replying to be polite and then one day i was getting ready to fly out to utrecht to go hang out with uh julian and richard for a month and i was standing there on the porch waiting for my stepdad to take me to the airport and i'm just kind of looking through my messages to try to make sure i didn't miss any and i i look back and go hey this girl's actually kind of cute and then so that <laughs> yes. so I, I messaged her and I was just kind of, you know, s sneaky. I go, 
hey, are you open to suggestions? Like, I was just trying to find something that I could comment on. And she's like, yeah, of course. And she, I'm like, well, on your toaster bar, um, try not looking up at the bar and see if that helps. And then she went to the gym a couple hours later, tried it out. She's like, she's like, wow, that really helped. And I'm like, cool. And that was what snowballed into us talking every single day. And then, like, I wasn't, I wasn't at Utrecht for a month. I came home. I was traveling for another couple of weeks. And then I flew up to Spokane to meet her. And then at, that's kind of how the story is written. It's pretty funny that I fiance on Instagram. Man, I, if, if that is not like the quintessential millennial love story, then I don't know what is. <laughs> right. right. It's funny. So, I mean, I guess like jumping straight into it, like there are quite a few people who listen to our podcast who are involved with the CrossFit for World, those who are not, and people may know you or not know you for a number of different reasons. So I just want to like, just jump in and say like, right, like, who was Ray Regno? Like, tell yeah. us everything. Yeah. So, um, <clears throat> born and raised in San Diego, California. Um, I graduated from high school and didn't really know what I wanted to do. And I told my mom I wanted to be a teacher. And if you're Asian, that's not exactly an acceptable profession. My mom was either doctor or engineer. And so <laughs> I sat on my bum for a month and did nothing after, call, after high school. And then my mom, she enrolled me into school <clears throat> for like a technical school, like computer programming stuff. And so I did that for seven months got hired on uh, at the San Diego Supercomputer Center in San Diego, San Diego Supercomputer Center. And um, from there, I was inspired to uh, study computer science. And then I did that and I was working with a bunch of academics. I was work it, the, the, the San Diego Supercomputer Center is actually at UC San Diego. And so it was on campus, there was a lab there. And so I was surrounded by all these PhD students. So I was like, this is kind of cool. Like I would, no, I, could, I think I could do this. So I was a TA. So that was my first, my first teacher teaching, um, taste at teaching. And I really enjoyed that. And then um, about a month before graduating, I decided I didn't want to, to be an engineer anymore. And I wanted to be a teacher. And I was kind of put it off because I was going to graduate. I went and worked for a while for about a year and hated it. Like, you know, you've seen the movie Office Space. Yes, it's one of my favorites. So you know that scene where that guy is telling the guy, well, I come in about 9.30 and I just sit and stare at my, my computer for like an hour pretending to work. And then I take yeah. a two hour lunch and then, I, and then I sit and stare at the computer pretending to work for two hours. And then for me, I would go to the bathroom and I would play the snake game on my flip phone for an hour and just hide out in the bathroom. And I'd go back outside and I would, because uh, I, I learned as a student from a senior engineer, I was just observing the senior engineers. I worked at Qualcomm, if you ever heard of them. They're a big company out in San Diego. They do uh, phone chips and stuff like that. There was a senior engineer that the director of my department tasked me to spy on because for three years, he produced zero deliverables. All he did was go to continue education seminars and stuff like that and never produce a single deliverable for like oh two years. God. And so they were just looking for an excuse to fire him. But because of the way their corporate culture was, that the guy just would ride the wave. And so I learned that as a brand new college grad, I was there for about a year after that. And I would just cruise and hated my job. And, and you know, as a technical guy, you could totally sell it to your, to your uh, manager or whatever. If they're not technical, you could say, oh, that's going to take me three weeks to do. If it, it can only take you three hours, but they don't know the difference. So they would just believe you. And um, fast forward, I left that job and I ended up going to Bible school. Because I figured, and, I, and my, my goal was actually to be a, a pastor. That was actually my original, in 2005, that was kind of my track. I was going to do that. Went to Bible school for a year and graduated and ended up going back into the technical field because I couldn't find, 
um, I couldn't find an opportunity at the church I was at. And so um, I was in a different place this time where I was now directing programmers and designers. So I was teaching them, I was mentoring them. And my, my designers and programmers did the same thing to me that I did to my other guys, except for I called their BS because I know what, it, like, oh, that's going to take me three weeks. I'm like, no, dude, that's going to take you two. And you're going to do this, 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 and this. And they're like, oh. So that's yeah. kind of like a full, full fun power trip to pull on them. Like, oh, crap, we can't, we can't mess with Ray because he knows what he's talking about versus yeah, a lot of other managers who don't know what they're talking about. So I did that for a year. In the dark side. Yeah. Yeah, I know, I know, the, I know the tricks. Um, so my career is, is, I mean, I've been, I've been at it for 21 years now, 22 years now. I'm a lot older than I look. You probably think I'm a lot younger than I am. Like, so I, so I'm 30. So I think that we're sort of in the same age bracket. I'm 40. Man. Oh <laughs> so I have a, quite a bit of life experience. So yeah. I, did, I, did the, I did the project manager thing for a year and then I got hired on at the church where I was hired onto their website, but then the, then the economy took a fat hit. So I became <laughs> the website guy, mul managing multiple websites. I was a publishing department director. I was running the art department. I was a sound guy on Sundays and also the audiovisual. I learned how to run one of those crane thingies, you know, the little jibs with the camera on yeah. it. Have a movie set. <laughs> Um, because we would broadcast live every weekend and I even learned how to run the the live broadcast room like all the like directing the cameras the lighting the audio all the things live I the only guy on staff who could run the soundboard put the church lyrics on the on the board and also run the lights all at the same time man um, it's so funny hearing you say that as someone who's been following your work for quite a long time because it's almost like these weird sort of square peg round hole things that don't quite fit in terms of the the commitment to teaching getting yes. involved in um seminary school because of, like so my university degree is in uh, religious and theological studies okay so like, i know how much of that out of the box thinking that you need to have to survive in that environment because it can become quite um quite like microcosmic it becomes very much like its own weird little bubble doesn't it yeah it does and what's funny is it's easier to find a pastor than it is to find a technical person who, who's willing to work for nothing because at yeah. the church i was making 20 bucks an hour in 2007 which is less than i was making as an engineer when i was 19 years old in 2000 in 2019 or 1999 yeah crazy right so i was making less yeah. money and it got to a point where i was like I'm not fulfilling my calling here. I'm, I'm a teacher. That's what I'm supposed to do. Like I can fill gaps because I'm good at them, but that's not what I'm called to do. So I quit my, I quit my job at the church and I said, Hey, I'm going to go move to the Philippines. I'm going to take over our, our church there. Cause we had a small church there. The pastor that was running that church, he moved there in 1993. Um, at that time he had three biological kids. And then a few years later he had three more. So he had six biological kids and he adopted 20 Filipino kids. Dude, that's crazy. Crazy stuff. And at that point, um, that was when the economy really took a hit. So, you know, missionaries, they operate on donations, right? And so he, yeah, couldn't, yeah. Uh, he couldn't afford to, to support his family. So he moved back to the States, took a job as the director of the Bible school that I attended. And then I was going to move to the Philippines and take over his church and then start a sister school there. So that was the original plan in 2010. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then in 2010, I, got, I was like, um, I had left my apartment, moved all my stuff into boxes, packed it up and, and stored it at my mom's house. And I was going to stay at my mom's house for what was supposed to be like a month and most. And then I was going to fly out to the Philippines. But like maybe six weeks before that, I just didn't have 
I just didn't feel right about it. So I asked my buddy Chaz, who, who I was supposed to take over his spot. He goes, I said, hey, what do you think about me staying for a semester and teaching here? And he goes, that's a great idea because we, we, we don't have any guy teachers right now. They're all ladies and we need to balance it out. So I was like, cool. So the plan was I was going to teach one semester and then I was going to fly out to the Philippines at the end of that semester. Well, one semester became two, which eventually became three. Yeah. Midway through the third semester, I was like pretty sure that that was going to be the end of my time there, but I wasn't sure what that was going to look like. And enter CrossFit. So I started full-time staff 2007 at the church. At the same time, my sister and her fiance were wanting to start a gym, but they didn't have any money. And so I wanted to support them, you know, big brother. I want to support my sister. So I started the Stronghold CrossFit and Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu with them in October 2007. And I was hands-off for four years. And then fast forward four years, I'm about to leave for the Philippines. Or I I was in my third semester teaching at the Bible school. And at this point, the gym is $15,000 in debt. And guess whose name's on the lease? This guy. Mine. Yeah. And so, I mean, if you've watched the strong, the, 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 uh, the barbell shrug podcast, I've shared that story a little bit. Like they actually mm-hmm. shot it in the gym. Um, so I took over the gym in about six months, I was able to pay back the debt and was for the next, uh, six, seven years, I was dragging the jujitsu gym along with me. Yeah. You know, like in San Diego, some of the gyms think that I failed. But if you think about it, try operating a CrossFit gym and then paying the rent for a jujitsu gym that's not pulling their rent, you know? Yeah, and also, like, especially, like, if, I, if my timeline is kind of um, following you, it's one of those things where, like, you're operating Brazilian jiu-jitsu school right before there was that big explosion in sort of, like, I mean, like, Joe Rogan jokes about it, how, like, Brazilian jiu-jitsu became yoga for dudes. You know yeah. what I mean? Like, it sort of, like, blew up in popular culture. Yeah, it did. But at the same time, that side of the gym just, and my sister admits it now, she's just such a charity case. She likes to help people. And I'm like, Raquel, you need to charge people for this stuff. Like, this is the reason why the gym went, was going under is because you're too nice and you don't charge your worth. And so that was kind of a problem where I was, my, my side of the gym was pulling in about 10K of revenue a month, which is pretty good for a small gym. We only had 60 members. Yeah, absolutely. That's 10K revenue for 60 members is pretty dang good. I had a staff, I had coaches that were working for me, but at the same time, I couldn't pay myself because I was paying the rent for the other part of the school. And they were using more space than me. Yeah. So I was operating at a humongous disadvantage handicap. And if you look at it in like, comparatively speaking, if I was making that money back then, man, I would have been crushing it. I could have, I could have used the entire space for myself and really would have launched the the that gym and would have been a lot more successful but i was trying to help my sister but fast forward to the reason why i closed my gym was in 2006 the owner of my gym died and his wife sold the building to a guy who overpaid like they offered it to me first and they wanted 2.2 million for it and i was like i don't know man this building has termites it floods when it rains and it leaks when it's overcast and we're on the coast which means it leaks every day like literally had buckets out every single day to collect the waters falling from the roof. They never fixed anything. They just band-aided stuff. And so the building was in shambles. Um, I had an investor who said that he'd be willing to pay 1.6 million. And even at that, we would have to raise the rent on everybody just to, just to pay the mortgage. So I was like, yeah, I'm not good for 2.2. Well, someone bought it for more than 2.2 to do the math. And they came to us like for six months, I literally went to them every month. Like, 
hey man, like what's the deal with the lease? What's the deal with the lease? What's the deal with the lease? And then the lease expired May, 2017. And two weeks before the lease expired, they came to me and said, hey, we want to triple your rent. I go, hey, no, bye. <laughs> yeah, pull and, the pin on that immediately. Yeah, I'm out. And what's interesting to me though, was that everyone else moved out too, but my sister stayed and she's still there because the landlord is so desperate to have someone in there that they're operating at a loss. Man, mind blowing, I, right? It's yeah, like, yeah, and, and that's the thing. Like, so li listening to you talk about like that sort of major financial impetus of like, right, we, we need to rock or we need to roll. Like, what's going on here? Like, I remember listening to a podcast with Joe DeFranco where he was just like, cool, so I need to, uh, I need to grow the gym. Um, I need to grow my clientele, um, but I don't have enough stuff. So I applied for a $10,000 credit card, got approved. And then 24 hours later, I was $10,000 in debt. Right. <laughs> exactly. yeah. And it's, it's kind of the story of our industry. You know what I mean? Like we find all these coaches. And I know that especially for me, when I first made the jump um, to you being a self-employed coach, it was one of those things where it was just like, you just prepare yourself for the fact that you as an, as a business owner are going to find your feet. And it sounds like in a lot of ways you had a lot of other experiences that we were talking about the sort yes. of square peg in round holding until you found coaching where it was like, right, I've now have all of these transferable skills that feed into this. Absolutely. That is exactly the way I look at my life. I, I tell, I tell my, the people that I mentor all the time, like every experience is valuable. Even if it doesn't seem valuable in the moment, I can guarantee you that most every odd thing that I've experienced, I've been able to apply to someone else in my, in my mentoring and my coaching career. Like every single experience has never gone unwasted. And I always say to people that you never know why things happen to you, but you can make sure it doesn't go to waste because you can use it. And, and you can have two people in the same room who experience the same thing at the same time, but how you respond to that experience is going to define what your future is going to look like. If you're a victim mentality type person, like, oh God, this all happened to me, blah, 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 blah. And you have this negative mindset, you're going to respond. You're going to, you're going to move forward way different than the person that's like, okay, well that sucked. Let's learn from this situation and never do that again or adapt to it. And I'm just that person. Like I just have a natural curiosity for everything. And so even at the church, I've done every single ministry you can think of, except for women's ministry for obvious reasons. You know, like I've done kids ministry. I've done junior high, I've done high school. I've done like street witnessing, which I hated. Like, you know, the people that stand on soapboxes and stuff, yeah, like, yeah. I'd have to go, I would go around with them, but I wouldn't do that. I would just kind of, my approach was, hey, what do you believe in? I just want to learn about you. And I've had some really meaningful conversations with people just listening to them and they're, and they're like, oh, okay. And meanwhile, the guy next to me is telling them, telling people about like fire and brimstone that they're all going to hell. It's like, yeah, bro, like no one's going to want to listen to you. Yeah, you know, but I made a genuine connection with this person because I just wanted to hear their story. Yeah, exactly. And I think that is so valuable, especially like not only just as a coach, but also because we're obviously with everything that's gone on with the Black Lives Matter movement right now, we're seeing this social political zeitgeist moment where everything is changing. And it's a case of like, hey, how do we actively get to know people on a grassroots level and expand the way that we think. Because mm -hmm. I mean, it's very similar to you. Like I would say that for me, uh, getting into the fitness industry was my sort of like life-changing sort of process and the way that getting into Bible ministry was for you. So it was a case of I've coached kids, I've coached the elderly, I've coached everyone under the sun, even to the point where, you know, I've coached people with cerebral palsies, you know, it's, and 
you have something to learn from every single one of those experiences. It may not be the thing that ultimately allows you to niche down, but it's the thing that's going to expand your overall sort of like what I refer to as like your locus of focus. It's that whole thing that allows you to essentially relate to people because everyone, as you said, experiences lessons according to how they react to them. And sometimes the most painful lessons are going to be the most valuable. Absolutely. That's exactly what I tell people is that your point of pain is also going to be your strongest point of passion and your strongest point to serve other people. And like what you just said, the way you just described about coaching is the way I approached coaching when I first started, because to be completely honest with you, I had zero business operating a CrossFit gym because including my level one seminar, sorry that I know that means something else in the UK. I'll do that. Um, <laughs> Mate, don't worry about it. The level one seminar. Um, when I started as head coach at my gym, I think I had seven or eight CrossFit classes under my belt. Yeah. So highly, highly, highly qualified to be a head coach at a CrossFit gym, right? But oh, for yeah. me, I just have this personal responsibility. Like people come in and want to work with me. I better be the best dang coach I can be. And so when I first started coaching, I literally coached everyone who would let me, even if it was for free. And um, you, you said um, someone with cerebral palsy. I coached a guy in his house. He had cerebral palsy, and all we ever did every week, we met once a week, was we did burpees. Because the last thing I wanted this kid to have to experience was falling down and not being able to get up. And it took uh, him three minutes to do one burpee. Yeah, man. But the thing is, it took him three minutes to make himself safe. And yeah. that is an empowering thing on a level yeah. that you and I are blessed to never really know what that's going to be like. Like, we are too... You know, you look substantially younger than me and you're in your 40s, apparently. But like, we are two young, fit, healthy males. Very rarely in life are we ever going to feel, you know, that we are at the disadvantage yeah. physically. So being able to like relate to that is always going to be difficult. But being able to say, hey, man, look, like we may be operating in two different places, but you can do what I can do. Our experiences, like they do uh, differ by degree not so much by kind because we both have this thing that we can relate to. And even if it's something just as simple as a burpee, that's so incredibly powerful. That is the basis of everything for CrossFit for me. Literally, I had another lady named Mary who was the same thing. She took her two minutes to do a burpee. And my goal was to get her, when I closed my gym, she was able to do two and two and one minute instead of one and two minutes. And that was a huge victory for me. For me, that's CrossFit. That's what I care most about. Like, the elite athletes and all the competitors and stuff like that, that's cool and all. Like, I'll coach you and I'll help you out. But what really gets me excited are these people that otherwise can't do things on their own. Like, the yeah. owner of my gym, the owner of my building, the guy who died and, you know, kind of, which was the catalyst of the building getting sold and all the things, I trained him once a week until he died. And, you know, what was cool was that after working with me for about a month, he was able to go to the bathroom unassisted. For the first time in two years, this man was able to have the decency of going to the bathroom alone without someone else helping him. That's everything. Yeah, that is what fitness is about. And like, it's one of those things where like, I, I, I have moments where I really, really despair for our industry. And I have, because you know, you have the, the Instagram like dude bros and the yeah. fit chicks and like all the all the power to them like if that's their thing and that's like where their like world is cool like I am not going to tell anyone how they can make money like that's their decisions they're adults yeah. but to limit what the impact of this industry can be to can I fit in overpriced extra small leggings 
when it can be, yeah, you know what I mean? Like I'm all about living that extra medium lifestyle, but it's like <laughs> when you have something as powerful as being able to give someone back their sense of like independence yeah. and autonomy, like how can you put a price on that? You yeah. know what I mean? Like, the impact of that is just so incredibly powerful. And I think that like, when I see people celebrate stuff like that or someone being able to have their own sense of, you know, physical independence over the way they view themselves in the mirror. Like that is hugely powerful. Yeah. What you just said right there reminded me of something. I know that we weren't going to talk about Greg Glassman, but I do want to say this. Okay. Everyone is, is pigeoning, pigeoning him into the one bad thing that he said, or there's a couple of things that he said for sure. And over the years, he's done some things that are just not, super awesome but one thing that he did do that's really awesome and i actually i don't know for sure if he was actually the spearhead behind this but you remember how 2018 2000 oh 2019 remember when everything in crossfit was going back towards health yeah you know a lot of people are like in an uproar like oh my gosh this is so different it's like no dude this is what crossfit was about from the very beginning like the games was kind of a distraction like cool we can like look at the human potential you know but one of the things that, um, as part of that health initiative, you know what CrossFit HQ has been doing for the last year or two? Is they created this program that they call the underserved. And it's for people who are too fat or too old to do CrossFit. The people who would never even consider walking into a CrossFit gym, they're like, hey, we want you. And so they run this program at HQ. They started off as like two days a week, one class a day for two days a week. And they brought in everyone who was too old or too fat to do CrossFit. And yeah. there was one lady who, um, who had never left the ground with both feet in three years, never jumped. Hasn't been able to do a jump in three years because she's just so heavy set and so weak. She's able to jump. There's another lady who wants to go get um, liposuction or the, the band or something like that. Um, but she was too big even for that surgery. So she was gonna go to this thing to lose weight so she could get small enough to do the surgery. And then she ended up losing more weight doing CrossFit than she would have doing the surgery and she never did the surgery. And so this is something that CrossFit's doing that a lot of people don't know about, you know? And it's like, I don't excuse what Greg said. Like, I, I don't stand behind anything he said. And there's a lot of things that he did over the years that was just kind of like, you know, in, in the staff's defense, I remember, like, I feel like, I remember just being from like a faith-based background. I remember just seeing the stuff that he did and hearing the stuff that he did. And I was just like, maybe I'm here to just be a light and maybe one day I'll be able to talk to him and kind of be part of that process for change. And that was I, something that really, that I remember one morning thinking that like, dude, this guy's, because, you know, hurt people, hurt people. That's one thing they taught us in Bible school was hurt people, hurt people. I mean, and, yeah, I was just about to say the same And thing. it's like, okay, so he's done, he's done a lot of nasty things. Yes, we, we can all agree to that, right? And Every, and people are still thinking that CrossFit's tainted because of one person, but CrossFit's not that one guy. Like, I wish I could, I, I had taken a screenshot of the Zoom call that had all the staff members on, like the seminar staff, just the seminar staff members who were on the call with the incoming CEO. And I just, the diversity of that group, I'm scrolling through like five pages of 50 people each. And I'm just like, okay, there's one of everybody here. And to think that we would stand for those race, racist comments. Yeah, right, man. Like, that's just, that's just, no, there's no way that could have stood. No way. Yeah. And you know what? Like, 
my my friends and fellow coaches joke with me the whole time about how like i am like deep spiritual rogan like i always like to go off into those big philosophical thoughts and the thing is like there are some struggles in life that i am never ever going to be able to relate to because i am a well-educated white class uh, so middle class white male i am never going to be able to like relate to the struggles of ethnic minorities, um, to black people, to Asian people. I, I know where my limitation is because of my white privilege. But what I think is so powerful is that we all know how much Fran sucks. Like I'm not a crossfitter, but we have something, whether, whether it is like I'm ripping my hands on toad, on toad bars and so are you. I'm getting crushed under my back squat and so are you. Mm. Like I am just praying to everything that, my, um, that I don't let go of this deadlift so are you. Yeah. And that's why I think fitness is such a powerful thing. And like, I completely agree. Like, don't get me wrong. Like as not only like as a, a business owner, but also just as a, like as someone who has been a, in and around the CrossFit community, cause that's kind of where I started branching out from my internships when I was younger. Mm-hmm. Um, like I've, I've seen how powerful the community is and it is so much bigger than HQ. It is bigger oh, than yeah. the brand. It is bigger than Greg Glassman. And I cannot excuse what he has done. Mm. But no matter which way you slice it, this is a man that is responsible for putting more barbells in people's hands. Yeah. Has he done some awful things? Yes. Like yeah. everyone, I think at this point, who's paid attention has listened to Andy Stump's podcast has listened to the things that Kelly Surrett has sort of backed him up with. Like everyone knows what's going on. And if we can't sort of make that clear division between who Greg is and the bad things he's done and who he was and the good things he's done, mm-hmm. then we're kind of just tainting something for the sake of it as opposed yeah, to- Absolutely. Um, yeah. And I, I don't know. I just think that, like you said, hurt people hurt yeah. people. And it's- <sighs> And in no way am I trying to, like I said, excuse him, but I think in a lot of ways, people hurt people out of ignorance, but the flaw there is that they think that ignorance is an excuse. Like Mm -hmm. I always joke with people when they say, oh, you know, I, 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 I didn't know how to do that. It's like, there is a device in your pocket that has all the history of the information of everything anywhere (laughs) ever. If you do not know something, you literally have to reach into your pocket and find out. Like for, for like growth mindset, like curious people like you and me, it's like, wow, how did they make Mount Rushmore? Boom, 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 boom. You can go straight to the answer of any question. So yeah. I don't know. I just think that it's a lot easier to hate and it's a lot easier to corrupt. And I think it's a lot easier and this is not me having a go at any of the um, athletes or business owners who have de-affiliated from CrossFit, because I think what like Bill Henniger uh, and Rogue Fitness did, I think what Reebok did, you know, taking that massive financial hit, sort of separating all of their clothing branding from CrossFit. Um, and yeah, you can make the argument that like ultimately they're still making money off the UFC. So, you know, where are they losing out? Yeah, really? yeah. But so they still have to at some point go, right, we are going to put our money where our mouths are. And while I think that is hugely impactful, and I think that is an incredible thing for them as business owners to do, there has to come a point where it says, we are anti-Greg, not anti-CrossFit. Yes. Because brand and the business shouldn't be wrapped up in one person, in one entity. Like, um, I, can, I can never remember 
who said this quote, but an empire is made out of its people. It's not made out of the emperor. Yeah. And I think that is exactly where we need to start being with the whole CrossFit thing. And I know, I know we said we weren't going to talk about Greg, but I think no. it's a good opportunity to like, as two individual members who have been as, you know, you substantially more in the CrossFit scene than me. Um, but as someone who's, you know, affiliated with CrossFitters and CrossFit gyms and the business as a whole, I think it's worth both of us just, you know, like, you know, putting our, putting our stance out there and saying like, look, yeah. like lead with love. It's more barbells in people's hands. The more people doing clean snatches, pull-ups, I'm down. That's cool. Yeah. And I just, I know for me, I kind of took it personally a little bit when people try to shame me for wanting to stay. And it's like, yeah. dude, I'm not here for him. I'm here for the people that we get to impact. In fact, that is the reason why many of us on staff were so willing to, I guess the word is put up with the stuff that we've heard or kind of because the blacklist thing was a real thing. You know, like people got blacklisted from CrossFit. There's some people who are like in the very early stages of them who are, who got blacklisted and kicked out. And for us, it's like, it meant more to us to be part of the movement and to be able to help people. And, and I think that's why some people were willing to kind of just, I mean, and to be honest with you, like I saw Greg maybe, four times in the last five years only at the staff summit and other than that you don't even know he's there like yeah. CrossFit was the red shirts they're the people that and most anyone who's been to a, to a seminar will tell you that the red shirts are professional they're inclusive and they're caring right and that's to me that's that's the staff like to, to get to to clump us all in to greg glassman is just me it's just mean and ignorant it's like saying you know like a terrible, terrible person might have a kid, right? Are we going to hate their kid because they're that person's kid? Even though they're completely, I mean, just because they're from that heritage doesn't mean that they're that same person. It's not fair at all. You know, no. there's lots of people who come from terrible, terrible ancestry who are completely amazing people. You yeah, know, absolutely. and it's like you said, like, not to excuse Greg for any of the stuff that he did, but he did create this thing and he was the one who planted that seed that exploded into the big community that we have now. Yeah, and, and that's the thing is that like, no matter what anyone does in HQ, the CrossFit methodology in all its forms, and I'm talking about um, and it, that, that quote that I said earlier about varying by degree and not by kind, I completely stole that from Matt Chan in a video he did years ago yeah. where he was saying like, a system has to scale up and scale down because if CrossFit doesn't work for Doris down the road and the elite level games athlete by a variation of degree as opposed by kind, it's a broken system because it doesn't mm -hmm. scale up, it doesn't scale down. Yeah, I mean, about systems should always submit to life. We rely on the system to create opportunity, to create the conversation, but we need to use wisdom. The system needs to evolve to protect life. That's one of the things that, you know, some people, if you prioritize a system, you die is basically what happens. And it's like, things have to change. Like, I, my favorite phrase to tell people when they ask me a question is it depends. Yes, exactly. Get really frustrated with me. Like, it depends. There's so many million variables. There's so many different contexts. Like, I actually would love to relaunch my, my, um, my affiliate and do only dumbbells. You can still do CrossFit with just dumbbells. You can do CrossFit with absolutely nothing. And that is what like, 
fitness is like ultimately all CrossFit did. And, you know, obviously this is from not just an outsider's, well, I say relatively speaking, an outsider's perspective, but also from a UK perspective, because I think that as in the way that, you know, the San Diego culture is going to be very different from a London based culture. The U S as a great big culture is going to be very different from the UK culture. And so same with CrossFit, but I think that people have forgotten that all CrossFit did was create an inclusive brand that codified what they believe fitness was in the most all encompassing manner. Yeah. And you know, when one of the, one of the points I think, John Wellborn made really well when he was sort of, I mean, I know there's no love lost between him and HQ, but he made the, yeah, to say the least. But I think like a point he made really, really well was the fact that it's how Greg and how CrossFit have chosen to define fitness in the most inclusive way, but by definition, high level athleticism becomes very uninclusive very quickly because you're scouting out for the genetic freaks. Like, stuff, like there are some guys in the NFL, if I said to them like, hey man, all I want you to do is to learn to play the snare drum for four days a week, they would still get stronger and faster. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So like what actually led to like that, um, you finding CrossFit and getting onto the seminar stuff? Because that's a story that I haven't really heard too, too much. Yeah, so I found CrossFit um, through my sister's ex-husband. Like he is an M- he's a jiu-jitsu fighter, so that's how we started the gym. It was Brazilian jiu-jitsu and CrossFit, and we were doing CrossFit because BJ Penn and Chuck Liddell were doing CrossFit to train yeah. for MMA. So that's how we discovered CrossFit. We started doing CrossFit in the park, like like for months before we opened the gym. And then when we opened the gym, it's just a natural thing. Let's put them together. But what was interesting was that we couldn't really put them together. We've tried so many times, but it just got to a point where people either want to do jujitsu or they want to do CrossFit. So my sister had this romanticized idea of having people doing both and it never worked in the 10 years that we were running it together. It never happened. It just wasn't the people, different personalities, but that's how I found CrossFit. And when I came back and took over the gym, I just have an obsessive, personality like if I'm going to do something I'm going to be excellent at it so when I took over the gym I literally was watching Kelly Starrett every single day for hours just learning about mobility trying to figure it because I I I recognized right away that people's lack of mobility was really hindering their ability to move well yeah so I was obsessed with Kelly and then I went to my level two it was called the coaches prep course um, back then in 2013 and then I met Boz and Russell Berger and Miranda Oldroyd. And I remember just sitting there and I was just wondering to myself, how could I do this? What if I want to teach seminars? And so I asked and um, they said, well, all you got to do is just apply to HQ and you can do, you can intern. Right. Cool. So I applied and two months later I was interning with Pat Sherwood. And I remember Pat Sherwood said to me, you need to be more relentless. And so that's been like on the back of my, my shirts for a long time was be more, be relentless. And um, the second time, so are you familiar with the internship process for staff? Uh, From a very vague standpoint. Yeah. I mean, from what I understood, it was very much a case of you do your internships, then you have the opportunity to take on more responsibility under a coach. And then eventually you become one of the seminar leaders. Yeah. So like back in 2013, when I first started the internship process, um, it was, or was it 13 or 14? Can't remember. I, my timeline's messed up. But um, back then, it was you shadow for one seminar, you just hang out, 
And then the second, the second seminar, you basically teach the breakout sessions. So you get to teach the breakout session for the squats and the presses and the deadlifts. Well, my very first seminar, uh, Pat let me demo the, the squats. And then he let me teach a sumo deadlift high pull, which was kind of unexpected. I was not expecting to do that my very first day. And then the second time, my second seminar was up in Portland. I flew up there and we were supposed, do you remember how long the squat breakout is? Uh, no, not, not from my stat, not from like, not from memory, but like, cause like my experience of the level one was, was shadowing because I was interning at a CrossFit gym at the time. Okay. So I, yeah. Cause it was one of those things where like back in the day when I was just, you know, starting out being like, you know, is, is, is fitness something that I really want to get into? Like, is this something that I can make a career out of? Yeah. Um, I started interning, I started doing loads of different internships while I was at university. Um, and I ended up doing an internship with a CrossFit gym and I got to sit in on one of their level ones. Okay. So I don't remember, you know, going on nearly 10 years ago now, how long that was, but it's about an hour. So you're supposed to be yeah. able to teach the air squat, front squat and overhead squat in an hour. And I was done in 21 minutes. And, and I looked at the, I looked at the lead guy go, do you want to add anything? And he's like, yeah, man. And he jumps in. And my problem was that I just didn't have the eye to see subtle faults. Yeah. I thought I knew, but I didn't know. I thought I was prepared. I'm, I'm watching him fix these people. And I'm just, my mind is, is, is blown. And I'm just like, oh crap, I didn't see that. I didn't see that. I didn't see that. I didn't see that. It was very humbling to fail that miserably, you know? And he was, I've heard of interns being sent home the same day. Like, no, you don't have it. Just, just go, just go home. But yeah. he's like, yeah, they didn't go so good. But, uh, I can see that you care about people and you, you really are passionate about this. I'm going to let you try again. So he let me teach the presses and I did better. And the next day he let me teach the deadlifts and I did better. And, but he said to me, you know what, I'm going to, I'm going to tell HQ that you need six months to, to learn a little bit more and then maybe you can try again. And so during that six months, I started hanging out with Cody Bergner. So that's how I got connected with the Bergners. I started working for Teresa Larson, who was working for Kelly Starrett. I even interned with her teaching the mobility seminar a couple of times. Um, so I was also a physical therapist aide for her, just deep in mobility wad stuff. We were even producing videos for mobility wad. Like I was behind the camera and editing the stuff that she was submitting to for, um, for, for, uh, for Kelly to post on mobility wad. So some of that stuff, the old back 2014, 15, 16, some of that content was stuff that I produced. Um, yeah, for would that have been back when they were the original um san francisco site you know the outdoors place uh they might have just moved into the new one yeah okay but yeah it was before it was definitely before he split off and did his own thing yeah yeah so i was working for Teresa for like two three years and that's how i started getting into shooting videos and and i i met uh deanna toro are you familiar with kelly and his staff uh, i don't know his staff personally i mean i've done um i've done a lot of kelly Storettes stuff online and you know okay. so I'm, I'm aware of him his methodology and everything else but i don't you, know his stuff like you've impact. probably seen them like diana's a tiny little girl with brown hair she's been in a couple of videos with rope and um yeah. back in the day so i'm uh she and i are really good friends and teresa's a really tall blonde well she's brown haired now but she's in some of the videos so i was deep with those guys for a while and then um started hanging out with just a bunch of people just trying to learn as much as i could and then I tried again for seminar staff about nine months later, and then I got hired on staff. But it's like that, that failure is what I tell people all the time. Like, dude, it's only a failure if you don't get back up again. And for me, that was 
the catalyst that really taught me that you just need to keep learning no matter what it is. Even if someone is an awesome mover, I tell people all the time, like, for example, last Thursday we had a workout, back squats. Back squats are simple, but they're not easy. And there's a million different variables that go into the back squat. And, you know, just hanging out with Julian and Richard, I have come to the understanding that the back squat is an advanced movement that a lot of beginners should not be doing because there's a lot of things that they don't know how to do. Like, uh, my goal for these people last class was, hey, guys, I know you've done, been, you've done back squats before, and it's super easy. You put the bar on your back and you squat, right? But my goal today is to give you maybe one or two nuggets that are going to help you move better and be able to lift more weight more safely. Does that sound good? And I had people who were like, had six different things like, oh my gosh, I'm trying to do all these things and no one's ever told me these before. And so my goal, whenever I'm coaching a class, no matter how experienced you are, when someone says, oh, I have five years of CrossFit experience, that means nothing to me. Because that just means that you could have been doing five years of CrossFit and being absolutely terribly and no one's ever coached you before. Yeah. And I've had people like, no one's ever told me that, but this is amazing. And they're trying to like balance all the things I've, I've, I've told them. I'm just dropping nuggets everywhere for people to pick up. And I'm like, just pick one, just, just pick one. And, but a lot of them were like, this is just mind blowing. No one's ever told me this. And that's my goal. Every class that I teach, I want every single person to leave with at least one thing that blew their mind. They're like, whoa, that was crazy. How, how come no one's told me this before? Okay, so a quick break in the middle of the podcast. If you've learned nothing from the conversation so far, it's that Ray and I consider coaching probably one of the most important things in the world. And the reason for that is because without the coaches that have influenced our lives, we wouldn't be here having this conversation, talking to you about something that we are complete nerds about. And that's awesome because coaches have allowed us to develop not just personally, but also professionally. And that for us means in the context of our fitness, but can be something that influences you on such a deeper personal level. And that is one of the things that we try to drive when we both talk about our own personal coaching services is the fact that we are totally there for you. This is entirely about you, not just in terms of your fitness development, but also your personal development. And that is something that I think is so key in terms of looking at how we as coaches at the forefront of the fitness industry are trying to change the fitness industry. It's not just about the abs. It's not just about the quad sweep. It's about developing yourself as a person. So if you want to find out more about the coaching services that both Ray and I offer, then just check out the links in the description box of wherever you source your podcasts from. Okay, so enough from me. We're going to get back to the conversation. Back to me, back to Ray. Let's hit it. Um, and, and I think like one of, one of the things that like, I think every coach is guilty of when they first start out is this concept that you never want to overcoach because when you're dealing with one person and you're you've got that you know youthful exuberance you just want to shove everything in the kitchen sink at them and just see what sticks whereas when you're teaching in a group it's it's a case of tactfully chucking as much at as many different walls as possible and then paying attention to what sticks it's not random Mm -mm. It's very, very intentional. It's saying like, okay, cool. You see this person rocking forward slightly. Watch a few reps. See what happens. Is it a thoracic issue? Is it their uh, their diaphragmatic mechanics? Is it the fact that they're just not focusing on where the balance is in their feet? I mm-hmm. mean, like I've I've had people who have ha- you know removed knee pain, ankle pain, hip pain just because they I say to them, look, weird one. Have you ever thought about just pressing your toes into the ground? <laughs> And they're like, oh my God, you're a genius. It's like, no man, you just got to pay attention because like exactly what you said, like I've said this for years, the back squat for some reason has earned this sort of like 
weird um weird status where it seems to be like the first thing that everyone gets taught no. and it's like squats should be but the back squat is a very advanced movement like i mean are you, are you aware of um a coach called eugene teo so he is an australian guy who has worked with john meadows jordan shallow like quite a few people who are really big in the industry and one of his things is exactly this it's like look even though he operates from a more you know, I hate using the term functional bodybuilding because it's become such a weird kitsch thing, but he does do it in a very sort of like intelligent way. So I would, I would like say, if you take nothing away from speaking to me, definitely go to check out Eugene Teo. Um, he talks about the fact that like the, when it comes to building muscle, the more complex a movement, the more motor patterns you're recruiting, but that doesn't necessarily make it the best movement for that person at that specific time. And that's when we take sort of like um, EMG data to be like, oh yeah, no, the, the back squat, I've recruited all of this muscle mass in comparison to, you know, lunges or whatever. But yeah, you're recruiting more muscle, but that doesn't take into account the skill factor and the injury yes. potential for that person. And that's the thing, like when people say to me, yeah, I'm going to do set to 12 on back squat. I'm like, okay, right. You need to just check yourself before you wreck yourself. Because chances yes. are you can't do more than four. And that's not me trying to be insulting or derogatory. It's just the fact that, it's such an advanced movement, especially whilst under fatigue. Like if someone said to you, hey man, do you think this is reasonable? I'd like you to put a really heavy weight directly on your spine. You know, that thing that we can't replace, super important. And I want you to just like sit down, stand up under increasing levels of fatigue, but the weight doesn't go down. I'm gonna do that again and again and again until uh, you, know, you, you can't walk. It doesn't sound reasonable right. in any way, shape or form, but yet we can get away with going, so today we're going to be doing German volume training on squats. What kind of squats? Back squats, my friend. Like it's not, it's not conducive to a positive coaching experience or a positive client experience, but it feeds into that weird thing that we have in the industry where it's just like, and I think for a time there was that sort of like weird um, association with people in CrossFit just really like to get messed up. Yes. But that's something that goes the whole way through the industry where people go, oh man, I can't walk for days. That was a great workout. It's like, no, that is not a great workout. That means you overextended yourself. Yeah, there's, I mean, to back up a little bit, like I didn't give people six things to work on. I just would see one person go, hey, can you try this? And the other person's like, oh crap, I do that too. So that, now they're compounding. It's like, no, I only gave you one thing to do. I just gave you one thing to focus on, but everyone is so intent on what I'm saying. They're like, oh, that, I want to do that too. And like, and I think that comes when you, when you speak with passion and authority and with something that actually works, you know, like I hear coaches who are like knees out, chest up, knees out, chest up, knees out, chest up, heels down. Like, yeah, they're useful sometimes, but if that's your only trick, holy crap. And that, like, I think what ends up happening, and this is why I have a business in the first place is that too many people go to the, a one weekend seminar. I think they're ready to coach. And it boggles my mind that there are people who own gyms that I've been doing for five to 10 years and only have their level one. Yeah. It's like, why didn't you go to the level two? Oh, well, I just wanted level one again. And like, but people don't seem to realize that the level one is meant to teach you the things. And the level two is meant to teach you how to teach the things. Cause being able to teach the things is not the same thing as understanding the things. Right. We've all had professors who were brilliantly knowledgeable and know all the things, but they're awful at, at communicating those things to people. And are oh, they yeah. good teachers? No, absolutely not. And so you, you have a lot of terrible coaches out there. And 
anyway, that's all that to say is like, yeah, I, this, the back squat is such a high skill movement. There's so many little pieces that go into it. Like how many CrossFit gyms do you know of that actually spend an entire day just teaching how to brace and breathe? If there is one thing that absolutely changed the game for me in terms of my overall like experience as a coach with my clients, but also just my business in general was when I got over that initial fear in the early starts of my like self-employed career where I was like, okay, I know what you want, but this is what you need. Yeah. And it, and, and that's the thing is that like it, it almost became that point where I realized like I have a duty of care, like no matter which way you, you, you cut it, you have loco parentis over this person. You are there to protect them. And if that means you have to protect them from themselves by saying, listen, slow your roll. We need to make sure that spine thing we spoke about earlier is a okay. And we're going to spend an hour just focusing on this. Then that is what we are going to do. And finally developing the courage in my early twenties to like, toe that line that was it and like, people talk about those weird like um pivotal moments in their coaching career it's mm-hmm. like for you it was that you know that experience at your level one um whereas for me that was like one of the things that was just like okay this is where this is how it's going to be there was no negotiation i'm the coach you come to me i wouldn't come in your office until you had to do your job yes yeah i was telling people that last night it's like too many of you guys let your members or your clients bulldoze you and tell them what they need. And you need to be like, no, like I've spent hours and hours and weeks and years of studying this stuff. Like, and I got to, sometimes I get to a point where I just video people like, does this look safe to you? This is you. Does this look safe? And they're like, no. Okay. Well, (laughs) well, let's do this instead. And like, I always like to ask questions to people. Like, here's one thing that I I don't think a lot of coaches realize is that, a lot of coaches hate sales. They just don't like it. And I hated sales too. But I realized that coaching is 100% sales. You're literally trying to sell people on doing things they don't want to do. And you're trying to sell them on the benefits of why doing what you want them to do is going to make them better. It's, it's a very important skill that like, people need to realize. And what I like to do is I like to put the onus on people by asking them questions. I go, hey, man, do you really want to go to work tomorrow with your back in pain? Does that sound fun? Like, well, no. All right, well, let's try this first. Does this feel better? Yeah. Cool. Keep doing that. And I walk away. Or like my favorite one was this guy. He was an anesthesiologist and he it was funny. He was at the gym and he had one of those Nike weight belts and he kept wearing it every single day. And it's one of those ones that has like the thing that kind of swoops down to your, to, into your sacrum. And um, one day it was like a weekend to it. And I walk up to him and go, hey, tell me about the belt. What's up with the belt? You've been wearing the belt a lot lately. He's like, yeah, you know, it's just a prophylactic. And I'm like, a a prophyl what? I know what prophylactic means. But I'm like, a prophyl what? And he goes, uh, it's a preventative thing. And I go, well, don't you feel like you should learn how to brace? Because if you don't have the, the belt's not going to help you if you don't have, if you don't know how to brace, that's not going to do you any good. And we were doing dumbbell snatches, which is the dumbest thing I think is the word of, you know, people wear the belt for dumbbell snatches. I'm like, that's just so unnecessary. Let's just do this correctly. And, uh, He's like, well, it just makes me feel safer. I'm like, all right, cool, no worries. And I start to walk away and I I have my back towards him and I'm walking away. I go, by the way, it's upside down. (laughs) Because he had it upside down and he'd been doing that for weeks. (laughs) And then uh, two minutes later, I turn around and look and he's not wearing it anymore. And I'm like, all right, 
Yeah, that's that's the thing, and I don't know whether it's a case of people like stuff like you, you, uh, whether it's you know like the rogue belt or the nanos or the whatever. People love to look cool. People like to have you know that uniform for when they're doing something. But I think people often forget that like putting on wrist wraps for your bench press. There's nothing wrong with that. Doing that all the time, absolutely. Yeah. Wearing a belt. Are you at a, at a, a, you know, a period in your you know, fully periodized phasic structure program where you're trying to go super maximal? Absolutely. If you want to wear a belt, fine, crack on, if that is appropriate for you. Mm-hmm. Are you wearing it all the time though? That's a crutch. And people yeah. don't need crutches. They need education. Yeah, tools versus crutches. That's the thing. It's yeah. a tool. It's not supposed to be a crutch. Like, like, are you have you been watching what Julian's been doing lately with all the neoprene stuff? Yeah, it's been interesting. Like, he's doubled down on it in the last month or so, and like, he just did a podcast kind of explaining why. And it's been interesting because people always give you weird side eye looks when you're doing it, but like, that stuff works. It's crazy, and like, you you do stuff with it and without it, and you you notice like even with a belt. I like don't even wear I don't even like wearing a belt anymore, but I'll wear the neoprene belt just to have something to push against. And that's nice because it doesn't give you any support, but it gives you that tactile feedback that you're actually expanding and pressing out. So yeah. doing stuff like that, like I'm I'm a definitely an advocate of every day, every other day, gear, no gear, no gear, gear, no gear. And just kind of going back through that. Cause mm-hmm. I went through a period of like two years where I was like no gear at all. I'm gonna lift in bands, no lifting shoes, no belt, no wrist wraps, no nothing. I'll use chalk and tape on my hands, but that's about it. And then I started to notice that my training was starting to suffer a little bit because I wasn't really pushing myself very hard. And you start adding the tools in and that actually makes it better. But again, it's, it's definitely, there's gotta be a skill prerequisite. You know, yeah, at my gym, you weren't allowed to wear a belt rarely ever. And if you did wear a belt, you better know how to use it. Cause I'm not going to let you just wear something just to wear it. But it's funny how a lot of gyms, they're just like people put on belts and they don't even, they're not even taught that stuff. And it's like you said, it's education. The, yeah. I think the problem in a lot of gyms and a lot of coaches, they're just not educating people. And yeah, no, completely. And especially like, I mean, use just because we're on the subject of belts, just using that as a specific example. It seems like for a lot of people in the industry, because they themselves have done the, hey, cool, I've got my base level qualification. Now I'm ready to be a coach. Mm-hmm. And they have not learned anything else from that. Yeah. And like, you know, like I always say to people, you should go on courses simply because you are going to not just, cause you can find the course material anywhere, but it's the, Hey, but have you thought about this? The in-person stuff, that's where the real value is. That's where the nuggets and pearls are. Mm-hmm. But like they have not continued their education. So they've just gone. So what I need you to do is we're going to be doing back squats for sets of 10. I want you to go put on your sexy sports corset. And it's like, no, man, like that's, that's not what it's there for. Like if, if you're in the situation where you are telling your clients to strap up and you don't know why you've got a problem and there's nothing wrong with not knowing something as a coach, but having the autonomy and the power to say, Hey, I don't know. Let's do this. And let's find out why I don't know this. That's important. Like it's that Dunning-Kruger effect, isn't it? Like you don't know what you don't know. And the highest form exactly. of of wokeness is realizing just how much you do not know. And it's that endless pursuit of knowledge. That's the one thing that I tell people all the time is the more I learn, the more I realize I don't know anything. And when I failed miserably, my first try at at internship for seminar staff, that's when I learned, holy crap, I don't know what I don't know. 
and Julian went on a whole hour or two rant on about this. It's like, there are things that he's learning that he didn't even know that they were, they existed to know about. And for people to think that they're going to retain everything they need to know at a one weekend seminar is just, I mean, I teach the seminar, I've been to over 50 of them and that's a low number for a seminar staff member. And every time I go, I pick up something new. So yeah. to think that, I mean, sometimes I'm teaching a lecture. I'm in the middle of writing something down. I go, oh, that's what that means. Yeah. Not even kidding. Think- that's happened to me before. I'm like, because Julian has talked about this too. It's like memorization is not the same as learning. A lot of people memorize things, but they don't actually understand it. Like that's why people say knees out. And you're like, well, why do you want knees out? What are you after? Well, we want the knee and toe to track. Well, why? And you're like, and, and they can't answer. Like, yeah. well, what kind of implication does that have if you're really knees out or what's going on if this happens, this, I mean, what do we actually want? You know, I think I blew people's minds a little bit, a few people, and especially on Thursday where people like, cause you know, people like they cave in when they squat. Yeah. The reason is because their body's looking for tension. But if you create the tension before you get that low, then your knees won't cave in anymore. And it's a really simple anatomical thing. If you lift up your knee, your knee up higher to your hip, and then you pull your heel to your butt, using your hamstring to create knee flexion, your knee and your toe are going to align naturally because you created that tension with the hamstring. But if you just plop down in the bottom of the squat with no tension, your body's gonna look for tension. And the most accessible one is your groin. And that's why the knees often go diving in. But if you teach people how to squat with their hamstring where they're actually pulling themselves down, you never have to say knees out again. I've had people that I've coached who are just like crazy collapsed in the bottom. And then I'll just teach them how to do that and never have the problem ever again. They're like, this is crazy. How come no one's ever told me this? I'm like. Yeah. So like years ago, I bought, um, I bought Kelly Sturette's creative live seminar. And one of the, like, one of the best analogies that he had in that for this exact thing is that when it comes to movement, you need to essentially think of the body as a car. Now, if a car, your Tesla Roadster that's just come back from the valet service, it is ecological, it's clean, it's friendly, and it goes through a tunnel, you know, without some random act of God, that car is going to come out of that tunnel in exactly the same condition as it went in. Now we take the same car and we just put it on fire. It's reasonable to assume that it's going to come out of the tunnel, not just like on fire, but probably worse. Yeah. That's a reasonable assumption. Movement is the exact same way. Being organized at the outset dictates your ability to be organized throughout the entirety of the movement and then to come back to that reset point. Mm-hmm. And that's why like one of the most valuable cues that I give a lot of my clients is when we are doing like more higher repetitious stuff with exercises that are appropriate for them. I always say to them, don't think of it as a set of eight. Think of it as eight singles done perfectly in quick succession. Yeah. I like that. I've actually gotten to the point where, and again, like I, I refer to Julian a lot cause this is what I've been kind of, just chewing on a lot lately. I, I don't even do sets and reps anymore. I just go, hey, go till your hamstring is cramping. It doesn't want to move anymore. Because how many times have you done 10 sets of whatever and like you just do it? Like I got really good at compensating and doing things just for the sake of task completion. Like Diane is my favorite example. I used to do Diane and my blow back on the right side would blow up like crazy every single time. And I got to a point where I just adapted because I needed to complete the task. Do you remember that open workout back in 2015 or 16 where I had like 55 deadlifts and then handstand push-ups and then row and then all those things? 
Well, I yeah. figured out that if I just do a single and drop it, single and drop it, single and drop it, I can reduce that eccentric load on my low back. And then I went to the strong fit seminar and immediately Richard looks at me and goes, you don't know how to hinge. I'm like, what do you mean? I don't know how to hinge. I teach the Bergner strength weightlifting seminar. I've been doing all this for, for like, for 13 years. I've been doing CrossFit. Like, no, man, you don't know how to hinge. You're using your low back for everything. I'm like, if you look at most CrossFitters, that's exactly what they do. You tell them to hinge and what do they do? They arch their back real big and they send their butt way back and they counterbalance and now they're all in their heels and there's no weight on their toes. And yeah. they're just counterbalancing. There's no hamstring or glute engagement at all. I always say with like the heels down cue, yes, we want the heels down, but we also want your full foot on the ground. Because if you have your heel down and your big toe knuckle on the ground, then you can really, really get that inside head of hamstring to fire. At yeah. which point, if you're not, you're just counterbalancing. You're not really using any musculature. And so I got really good at compensating because I'm a good enough athlete to know this is the shape I need to create regardless of the tension that's required. And I would often displace the tension where it wasn't supposed to be. And that's why I was having back pain. Now I learned how to use my glutes. And so when I do my deadlifts, I do them to the point where I feel my glutes. If I feel my low back, I know I'm doing something wrong. And that's, it's kind of why I don't even assign reps to people anymore. I say, Hey, just go till you're, if I, if I want to give you bicep curls, just keep doing bicep curls till you can't do them anymore with the constraint of don't shrug. You ever see people at the global gym, they do shrug, they do their bicep curls and they do this. They're like bicep curling with their traps. Yeah. And it's like, or they're like low back. And it's like, there's no, there's no bicep anymore that you're not actually using the bicep. What's the point? And so yeah. it's not what you do. It's how you do it. Yeah, exactly. And that's the thing. Like it's, it's when you, you look at someone and you say, what if I was to tell you that the single most important muscle in a bicep curl is the lat <laughs> and they just look at you like, are you mad? It's like, man, like if you're just shrugging that bicep curl up, you're not putting yourself in a situation where like you were actually being mechanically effective. And that's where like, it does come back to what you said earlier. The body, when it's generating um, its own internal resistance and in to deal with an external load, mm -hmm. the body is just looking for tension. That's all it is. Whether it's isometric tension, whether it's just um, eccentric tension, concentric tension, it doesn't matter. It is going to find that tension somewhere because the body ultimately is a short term completion machine. It does not care what the long-term impact of doing the deadlift badly is so long as you complete the task. Exactly. It's like, um, it's like someone, it's like someone coming to you and going, Hey man. So like I, I made you some toast. I burnt the house down, but like, I've got your toast. Like, your it's, toast. Not, it's not good. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And that's, I think that's one of the things that I struggle with as a coach, especially when I come into a culture that's new is mm -hmm. that it's just a very prevalent thing that people are more concerned with the task completion than the movement mastery. In fact, that was like my hashtag for all of 2019 is like movement mastery over task completion. Yeah. And that's just a very common thing because it's like, how many reps, how many sets? Okay. What time, how much, how, how much time do I have to do this? What weight do I need to do? Like people are so concerned with the RX and like for some people, like I, if, if I had my way in the gym, like, you know what, instead of doing the back squat today, you're just going to do a sandbag squat and just make sure it looks like a squat and not some weird squat morning where your, your knees are caving in, your back's like parallel to the ground. And like, that's not a squat anymore. Like I like to get constraints. Like, can you do a squat with your chest upright, your knees not caving in and your butt not tucking underneath, you know, like there needs to be details. And I love that idea of constraints. Like you just say, K 
can you do this and make sure that these things don't fall apart? And if you if it starts to fall apart, then you're done. I don't care. Like people think, okay, a snatch is a snatch because I got the bar from the ground overhead and one fell swoop, but my foot, my right foot's 10 feet that way. My left foot's this way and behind me a little bit. And my shoulders are like this, but Hey, I got the bar over my head. So cool. I got a snatch. I don't know what that's called. That's kind of like a snatch, but it's like the snatch is ugly, like a stepchild son or, you know, like not yeah. really a snatch anymore. And, that, and that's the weird thing that people have this sort of like concept of um, mastery being directly related to, as you said, that completion, like, hey, I did a snatch thing, <laughs> therefore I've mastered the snatch. I mean, like, so exactly what you said about constraints, like I've got, I, I've got this real sort of fascination at the moment with the similar thing, but how efficiently, how masterfully can you complete something whilst being in a position of restriction? And that's the whole thing. And I like, this is something I've kind of like been ruminating on for the last few years when I saw um, a video with Carl Powley, where he was talking about uh, hinge mechanics in relation to the burpee. And because mm -hmm. obviously we're back to the burpee because everything comes full circle. And the one thing that unifies all of us is that we hate burpees. Um, and he's saying that like, ultimately you can break the deadlift down. So the deadlift, the, the burpee down to be the most complex, sim simple movement that you ever do. And then when you start taking that concept and applying it to how you are coaching different movements, to different people, you start to realize that mastery isn't so much, you know, looking pretty, looking like you can do a thing. It's can you do that thing within a series of very distinct constrictions? Mm -hmm. Like I, so what I, I went before, before COVID, I was running a, um, a weightlifting, an Olympic weightlifting gym. Um, so class even. And one of the things that I'd always say to people, okay, cool. You, you've got, you have the snatch. And then I would draw a line at the starting point point, being like, okay, this is where your feet start. If your feet get in front of the line, you're not moving up. You're not moving up in weight. If they get behind the line, you're not moving up in weight side to side. Absolutely fine. But you're staying on this line. Right. And it's like, wow, that's actually way more difficult than I thought it would be. It's like, yeah, because if you're, if you're trying to bunny hop a barbell, with X percentage of your body weight forward or backwards. You can't tell me that's going to be a good thing. So we provide more constriction in order to create more stability, more awareness, and just more emotional investment to the task at hand. Because then suddenly it's not, hey, can I make this snatch looking shape? It's can I snatch and complete the task at hand, which in this case, staying on that line. Yes, yes. All day long. I, I We were talking about that yesterday, like setting the constraints so people actually do it the way it's supposed to be done. And then on the, on the, on the other side of that too, it's like one of the things that Richard really uh, embraces is, is this idea of exploration. And especially for a coach, it's really important that we understand why we tell people to do certain things. And so sometimes we have to subject ourselves to weird experiments. So for example, I took the, I took the Strong Fit Seminar in 2018, at the end of 2018. And Richard said to me, you need to carry a sandbag every single day for 400 meters. And did I do that? No. <laughs> Two years later, I still suck at sandbag carries. So about a month ago, he says, all right, Ray, here's what you're going to do. So I finally was able to make it 400 meters consecutively without putting the bag down with a lighter bag. 
And yeah. I got some hate on Instagram about that. Like, oh, it's a, that's a good weight for a small woman. I'm like, whatever, dude. But like, <laughs> like that's I know it's like, but dude, it's a big win for me. And so I go, okay, Clarissa, I did it with a lightweight. Now I'm going to try to do the big one. He's like, no, no, let's try this. So I want you to do, here's what I want you to do. You're going to go four mirrors to the back, come back, put it down, take a break. You can yeah. pick it up, do it again, take a break. Pick it up, do it again, take a break. Pick it up, do it again. Go one mile. And I go, crap. Okay. And then like 10 minutes later, he's like, you know what? Do a mile and a half. And I was like, Ugh. So the strong fit guys teach that learning happens like this. You first start with disinterest or boredom. And the next phase of learning is anxiety. We're like, oh crap, I don't want to do that. And then there's frustration. There's anger at others, anger itself, and then finally learning the thing. And it's like you said, there has to be an emotional investment to actually learn, right? Awesome. So by the time you get mad at yourself, you're like, ah, fine, I'm going to figure this stupid thing out. That's when you start to learn. And so I was on the anger at Richard from before I even got to the gym. Like I was complaining the entire morning, going to the gym, like, I don't want to do this. I'm like, rah, rah. So this sucks. Lap, this sucks. So lap one, I'm hating life. Lap two, I'm hating Richard. Lap three, I'm hating everything. Lap four, I'm literally telling my glute needs, stop it. I mean, out loud, stop it. It's not your job. Like I want my glutes to be doing this instead of my, my glute needs screaming at me. And then my, by the fifth lap, what was really interesting to me was I actually finally got to a frame of mind where I was like, dude, Ray, you're so stupid. Just get this thing done. And then what was interesting was that as I started to get into the fifth lap, I started to experiment with things. I'm like, okay, what happens if I lean this way? Oh crap. That makes it worse. Okay. Well, if I lean this way, okay, that makes it better because it, I mean, the reality is my left oblique was two weeks. So glute meat was taking over. But if I shorten this way, it makes the oblique shorter, which makes it stronger. I'm like, oh, that's an interesting thing. So I started walking sideways, started walking backwards, started holding the bag different. And once I finished the fifth lap, I was like, oh, that wasn't so bad. I was actually kind of enjoying it by that point. Lap yeah. six, same thing. I'm like, all right, let me figure out how to do this and do it correctly. And so what I tell people all the time now is like, dude, if you can't figure something out, then try all the different variations until you figure out the part that works. So that's another way to set constraints, you know, like uh, Julian once made me set up a, uh, a yoke, you know, and set it up kind of high. He said, okay, go ahead and just stand with it in an overhead position. All right, cool. Now lower the holes one. Okay, cool. Lower the hole another one. Okay, cool. To a point where I couldn't even like stabilize anymore. I couldn't get it. Yeah. Like, I just couldn't stand up with it anymore. He's like, all right, so what's wrong? I'm like, I can't find the tension. He's like, okay, well, here's what you do. Don't lift it. Just set your body up underneath it and, do whatever you need to do to feel like you can lift it, but don't lift it. Because now he's taking the task away, you know, because I'm getting frustrated because I'm trying to lift a stupid thing. But it's like the point is I need to create the right tension. When yeah. you create the right tension, you're able to do the task and do it properly. And so he's like, okay, try this. Go ahead and arch your back real hard. I'm like, no, that hurts. It's like, okay, cool. I'll tuck your, just like, just get really, really hollow. I'm like, it's better, but it doesn't really work. Okay, okay cool. So you've tried those two things already. Now try something different. Just try anything, anything. Just whatever you haven't tried yet. And I'm like fiddled around with the stuff, I'm like stood up with it really easy. And like, that's one of the things that I feel like a lot of people don't take the time to do is they don't take the time to dump something super way down to a, like a like zero skill level and just explore what it's supposed to feel like. Like as a coach, what I'm doing now is I'm more concerned with people knowing what a good movement feels like versus me having to look at them and watch them. I want them to be aware enough on their, uh, have, be self-aware and have the awareness of what it's supposed to feel like 
so they can do it correctly by themselves and have the independence to do it that way without me watching. So that's really like going back full circle, the whole thing, like the whole purpose, at least for me, for coaching, my philosophy for coaching is I want people to be independent. I want people to be self-aware and I want people to be able to get better on their own for their own betterment. And that's what, that's how I gear all of my coaching now is like, how can I just make you better for yourself and like, and teach you how to do it on your own instead of being dependent on somebody else. Yeah. And, and that's the thing. It's creating that ability for someone to realize that ultimately like you have the education, but your job is to pass the tools to them. Exactly. You're trying to educate your client out of your own job. You know what I mean? Like you're, you're trying to make yourself a want, not a need. Yes. Yeah. yeah. And that's so vital. I mean, like, it's, it's really funny you mentioning that. Like, so um, I'm also like a kickboxing coach for um, the local university here. So last year we had um, one of our girls became the um, university's champ. And during training, we were doing something called the can open drill, which is basically like, you know, worst case scenario, you've lost the tempo. Something's happening. Someone's on top of you just firing in. You've got to shut up and figure out how the hell you're going to get out of this position the can opener drill you'd find a way to get out and this girl ella was just like like just wearing it and i was firing i was firing into her guard and um i was like you've got to like you've got to find a way to get out you just need to accept what's going on and just let your body do what it's going to do and the minute she i literally just heard a big breath out then all of a sudden she slips my cross and comes in with this big overhand right and just whacks me straight in the eye. To this day, one of my proudest coaching moments because she just went, well, fuck, I'm here. <laughs> just took me out. And it's like what you said with the sandbag. It's like, if I'd said to her, okay, what I want you to do is wait for the perfect moment and then come in with a big overhand right, it would never have happened. Yeah. But because she just accepted it, she made it work in the same way that you accepted it and you made the sandbag work. You were like, right, okay, I've got to shut my glute meat off. Do I move to the left? Do I move to the right? Do I hollow out more? What do I do? And it's creating that ability to in the moment go, stop. Why is this contracting? Why is this hurting? Why is this doing whatever? How can I fix this? Because I think more often than not, and this is another thing I took away from Kelly Sturette, like the, the majority of injuries are systemic problems. Yes case of they've made a bad decision gone away with it and continue to make a bad decision as opposed to like doing goblet squats that's weird what is my right rotator cuff hurt uh, uh right yeah i'm elevated i'm not really contracted properly set that back you found the issue you have addressed it and now you can move on if more people could understand that uh, you can save yourself from a lifetime of discomfort and injury mm -hmm. just by doing that just by being aware enough to go, no, wait, shoulder back, or no, wait, toes down. It's amazing to see what people, what people will do when you give them a little bit of education. Like there's this one girl who in that Thursday class, I could see her, she would like squat and then she'd do that weird thing where her back would kind of go like that. And I go, hey, does your uh, yes. back hurt when you squat? She's like, yeah. And I'm like, well, stop it. And she's like, what do you mean? I'm like, stop using your low back can you do what what can you do instead of use your low back how about just squeeze your abs and stay braced there because you're not bracing on the front so the back has to brace and she did it and she's like that worked i'm like cool you're welcome walked away and it's like if it hurts then stop doing it that way and you know like julian always says there's a difference between surviving and doing 
right? Doing yes. is where right. you're like, okay, this sucks. What do I need to do to adapt to make this? And it's the acceptance part, right? You have to accept that it sucks. And you're like, okay, well, what I got to do to change it? Versus a lot of people just have that victim mentality. And they say that, well, it hurts. I'm just gonna keep going because it hurts and it hurts. I'm supposed to just keep punishing myself because I'm not working hard unless it hurts. It's like, no, that's stupid. You're just hurting yourself. Like, yeah, but you know, pain is weakness leaving the body, man. Like that's, that's the real secret sauce. No, no. I know it's, but, but the thing is like, I think you and I can say that by virtue of the experience that we have had being those people, being the, listen, I'm in pain, but that's what success feels like. Like that's, we've been those people in our early years. And like, like, I don't know about you, but like, I've had a couple of like really bad injuries where I've, you know, it's, it's made me reevaluate how I have done everything mm-hmm. from something as simple as a dumbbell press all the way to Olympic lifts, all the way to even just picking things up off the ground. So like I, um, I ruptured my um, distal bicep tendon on my left arm, I had to have it completely reattached. Wow. And yeah, no, it was, it was really gnarly. And like, I remember going back to my first workout after um, surgery and just thinking like, right, okay, so upper body for the most part is out. You know, I can try and maintain some muscle by, you know, working the other side, having cross talk, like just trying to keep that like neuromuscular connection firing. Mm-hmm. But this is gonna this is gonna be a you know a year of of booty and quad booty quads and hamstrings. So I was like, cool, right? Set up for a safety squat bar because it was the only thing I could do one handed. And I was like, okay, I can do the bar because I've only got one arm how do I get the most out of my glutes and hamstrings and the least out of my spine? Uh And that moment where it was like, I can either get pissed about the fact I've got one arm or I can accept the fact this is what I've got. Yeah. That was, that was, you know, the moment where it was just like, okay, you've got to reevaluate everything. And I think what people don't, I think what, I think what a lot of clients forget is the fact that like, we've made all the mistakes so that they don't have to. And it's our job to make sure they don't repeat any of our mistakes. And yeah, they're going to make their own mistakes, but our job is to make, and the, the chances are they're going to be mistakes we've never seen before. Mm-hmm. Cause if they're making brand new mistakes, then, or, or if there's, if or if they're making mistakes that we have seen before twice, then we haven't done our job. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah. But part of it too is like, I always tell people also just kind of that same vein is like, one of the things that helps is if you just watch as many people as you possibly can. Yeah. Because you're going to get people who just do stuff and you're like, I have no idea what to do with you. I've never seen this before. Even with lots of experience. And so I, I had the, I had the benefit before when I was traveling every weekend for seminar was I got 50 new people every single week, you know? And I just think, like you're, what you're saying was we want to make sure that people don't make the same mistakes we have, but mm-hmm. that also, that also predicated on the assumption that we are doing the experimentation and we are doing the continued learning. The problem that I see is that we're probably, we're definitely a minority in the coaching community where I feel like there are more bad coaches than there are good ones. There are more people who think they know all the things and they're complacent with that. And that's, and it, it's reflective when you watch it, walk into a gym. You know, I walk into gym, I see lots of stuff like, why is this being allowed to happen in here? And, you know, sometimes it's just because the coaches don't know and they just don't know what they don't know. Yeah. I think the most important takeaway for anyone who wants to be a coach is that you have to always be learning. 
like going back to that whole thing where I want everyone who walks into the door to have a brain exploding moment when I'm coaching their class. That's what brings them back. That's what makes everyone want to listen to me when I'm coaching someone else. Cause they're like, Oh my gosh, like they're exploding my, he's exploding my brain right now. Let me see what else he's going to say to this person. And that's why you'll get someone like trying to work on six things at the same time when they're not supposed to be, you know, but that only comes if you're willing to do the work and to cope, to, to study and to learn. You know, if I had, if I had stayed complacent with where I was at four years ago and just was like, all right, cool. I'm a level three seminar, level, level three CrossFit coach. I know things and didn't look outside of my, my little bubble. You know, I wouldn't have, I wouldn't know a lot of things that I know now. And that's a sad thing is there are a lot of coaches that just do that. You know, the majority of coaches in the world are level one. Most CrossFit coaches are level one trainers. They went to a one weekend seminar. Maybe they went to a second one again after five years because they didn't want to do level two. You know, maybe they did a spot the flaw course. Maybe they did a, um, a judges course for the open, which incidentally is funny to me. I, I remember there was one, one gym I was, uh, where I, I kind of knew the coaches there and this per one of the coaches on staff, they failed that test a million times and just like it took them a week and a half to finally pass it. It's like, you can't pass this. Why are you, what are you doing coaching? Like, like, you know, we have members that are passing this test and you're a coach, you're supposedly a coach. Like, why aren't you working harder to, to be better? And that's my question to anyone who still has their level one and thinks that, and they're a CrossFit coach and they're doing it full time. Why are you still a level one? Why aren't you a level two or a level three? You know? Yeah. And I, I think that is such a valuable point to sort of try and, because I'm, I'm trying to be really respectful of your time here, because I feel like we could just talk for hours. Yeah, we could. I have maybe I like, 15 minutes more. <laughs> yeah. And I feel that's like probably the point to sort of like really round it off on is it is your responsibility as a coach to continue mm -hmm. your education yeah. because, and, and, and to your point about how the majority of coaches are level one coaches, whether that's CrossFit or, you know, just personal trainers or whatever, it's, a case of you need a healthy dose, dose of imposter syndrome because I have given thousands of pounds to my education and I still find myself going, okay, okay, you, yeah. you can do this. You, you, you don't know everything, but you can do this. And, you know, if, if you really are trying to be the best that you can be in anything, like it doesn't matter whether it's you want to be the best coffee maker, you want to be the best beer brewer, tailor, candlestick maker, whatever it is, we're coaches. It is our job to be the best coaches that we can be. And that means investing the time, money, mm -hmm. resources, whatever that is. And, you know, like the thing that I, I say to like, like what we mentioned earlier, um, going to coaching courses is always incredibly valuable because not just because of the content, but because of the interaction you have with other coaches and those, you know, lunch hour conversations and the, yeah. the random question that some guy, you know, brings up because you've never thought about it in that way before. It's that unique stuff that makes courses so valuable. But even if you are, you know, the, you've just, that like, you've just qualified, you want to be the best coach that you can be, and you are strapped for cash. This, the iPhone provides you with all the information in the history of forever. You can get so much education for free that you can start providing better service on the here and now. I have learned so much of just watching more selective YouTube over this lockdown that I have like from YouTube ever, because, you know, I, I like reading books. I find that it, I find that I find myself that if I spend too much time 
just looking at a screen, I get sick of it. Mm-hmm. I like to be interactive with the things that I'm learning. And whether that's, you know, I go walking with a lecture or I do something, I need something that's, you know, going to help me not zone out from that thing. You have so much information available to you that just you and I didn't have when we first got into the coaching industry yeah. and you so more than me, like saying that you were, um, you know, helping Teresa Larson in like, you know, the old mobility ward days, like there are going to be a generation of people in the fitness industry that will never know that ready state started as mobility ward. Right. And that not only makes me feel incredibly old, but terrifies me. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, and the thing too is one thing I also encourage people to do is to study the people that you disagree with. I could not agree more. Oh my gosh, there's so many people. It's like when people want to just like rant and rave on my Instagram stuff, I'll just like, if you notice the way I, I manage those is I always come back to them with questions. Yeah. That's my, that's my, that's my go-to way of responding is I'll just ask questions because I want to hear more of what they're thinking. Cause like I could tell people all day long what I think, but it's curious. It's interesting to me. Even that one, I kind of was just trolling and fishing for responses. There was a post yeah. last week. I was like, I just want to know where people are at with this. I don't really care. Like if people want to disaffiliate. Okay, cool. Like, I mean, anyway, that's a whole other conversation, but it's like, I really just want to know what other people think. And yeah. it's seek to understand. It's like, I always say it's, it's more important. I think I said, did I say this earlier? Like right relationships are more important than being right. And I would rather seek to understand than to seek my, my thought process or whatever I believe in to push it on somebody else. I would much rather know what they're thinking so that I'm like, okay, that, and it gives me a little bit more um, to work on if I'm trying, if I am trying to win them to my point of view, like, why do you believe what you believe? And a lot of times you'll be surprised to see that certain times that that there's something, some underlying issue that's causing them to believe that. Like, and sometimes it's an emotional thing. Like there's a difference with distance between here to here that sometimes is unreconcilable. And sometimes oh, yeah. people will know legit logically that this map, this makes sense, but this make is what's causing them to refuse to accept that thing. And at that point, it's like, well, there's no reason for us to keep going back and forth. Now I understand you as a person. And now I know, Hey, you know what? At least for me, it's more valuable to keep the relationship than to be right. than to, there was a meme that said, like, if you, if you bury someone under your rightness, like, and they're like, and you stand on their grave, then who wins? Really? Like you lost that connection. You burnt a bridge. There's no way for communication to happen anymore. If you just beat someone to death with your rightness, then who really wins in the end? Nobody. Yeah, yeah, completely. And that's the thing. I think in a lot of instances, it also becomes the fact that like people like to shoebox their beliefs into certain things. Like I'm a power lifter. I do it this way. I'm an Olympic lifter. I do it this way. Like knees out. Cause always, Oh, maybe the Chinese weightlifting team do knees in heresy. How dare you? <laughs> like people like to box themselves into these like weird little labels, these weird sort of like almost like dogmatic systems of belief. And when you see someone that challenge the challenges that, I think it, going back to that hurt people, hurt people thing, it's almost like a fear response. And like, I always go back to um, that, that great quote by Mary Curie saying that there is nothing to be feared, only better understood. Yeah. And yeah. that's the thing. You want to know where people are coming from because, you know, you might be right, but are you so right that what they're saying hasn't got a glimmer of truth because what they believe is right to them. And there's got to be somewhere in the middle. There's got to be some point where either they go, hey, you're right, 
or you adapt the things that you think because they actually have something valid to bring to the table. And, and sometimes start- I think that you, the thing, and sometimes I think that you, the thing that you think is wrong might be right for someone else. Like I've coached people where I'm like, Hey, you know what? Normally I'll tell people to do this, but this is not working for you. Try this. And I'm just like, all right, that worked. Cool. And then you walk off because, but I would never have known or thought to do that thing if I completely written it off or never even bothered to learn about the thing. That's happened quite a few times where it's like, you break the rules. This is, this is not okay, but yeah, that works for you. All right, cool. And then just walk off and, you know, that's where the whole thing is. It depends. Yeah, completely. And you brought, you brought it back to the ultimate uh, coaching get out. It depends because it that's, always does. That's literally the best way to sum up a coaching call is like, it depends when you're coaching people. And that, it's hard for people who like to have structure or people like, I mean, I'm an engineer by, by training, right? So I thrive on formulas and things being right and things being a certain way. And so to, for me to come back and say, it depends on the context. It depends on the person. It depends on this, that, and the other. Like there's so many variables. Like you and I might be built exactly the same way, but there might be one small variable that changes everything. And that means that the solution might be something completely different than what might work for you. And being a, and you can't be a, that kind of coach if you just pigeon your whole, pigeonhole yourself into one belief system. Like I love CrossFit because of just how inclusive it is but I pepper stuff in from everything. And if you really think about it, CrossFit is the MMA of, of fitness. Yeah. It's like, you could incorporate Zumba and it'd still be a CrossFit gym. Like it, it's just, it's everything. And so that's why I'm all about, hey, let's know what's on the, what, let's know what's in the level one, level two guide, but I'm going to study strong fit. I'm going to study wet side barbell. I'm going to study all this stuff. And then depending who's in front of me, I'm going to apply the thing that works. Yeah. And that's it. Like you can't like, regardless of what your specific coaching like niche might be, you cannot tell me that you will not learn something by reading super, that you won't learn something by reading super training, that you right. won't learn something by look by reading Julian's work, that you won't learn something by picking up the West side book of methods. There is so much out there to learn because ultimately, like I always joke about this saying that, you know, with, with strength coaches, it's weird how we all teach GPP but we all like to say that we're so specialized. <laughs> you know what I mean? We're teaching people how to be generally better. Yes. And then their own activities, whether that is, you know, professional sport or the fact they really like to go rock climbing on the weekends with their kids, that will dictate the effectiveness of the general preparedness that we have taught them. Mm-hmm. We all like to be so specialized in what we do. It's our job to help make people better. Yeah. And if we're going to really commit to doing that, then we have to acknowledge that we don't know everything. And there are a lot of people out there that are a lot smarter than us that have made all those mistakes that we're gearing ourselves up to make, but we don't have to make them because they've done it and we can learn valuably from them. Yeah. And just stand on their shoulders. Yeah. I've seen so far because I've stood on the shoulders of giants. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, right. Thank I can't thank you enough for taking the time. I mean, is obviously we're going to edit this as we go um what how how can we help like how can um we promote you on social media like what would you like to share what you got going on at the moment um right now i've got a couple of things that i'm doing i still have my coaches community group and i also do one-on-one consulting so for people who want to get a little bit deeper and i mean i coach 
I can coach you on basically anything. <laughs> so like, I'm basically a jack of all trades. I've done pretty much everything. I've done all kinds of sports. So that's actually one thing that I'm looking to do is to expand just outside of fitness. I'm actually starting to do, interestingly enough, I have a DIY channel for cars and stuff like that. I have, I have cars and that channel is growing faster than the fitness channel. It's pretty amazing. <laughs> so it's, yeah, it's one, I imagine it's also one of those weird like COVID zeitgeist where you, you've now got this opportunity where people are spending more time doing all the projects that they never wanted to, they never really like yeah. got around to doing. So like for you, it's been cars. For me, I built a bicycle for the first time. Oh, cool. So I was, yeah. So I built like a single speed bike from scratch and I was just like, man, I would never have like thought to just go screw it. Let's see what happens Buy a frame for 40 quid and yeah. then just start adding bits as I go. Like I would never have done that unless COVID had happened. And now I'm like, cool. So what can I build next? <laughs> you know it's what I mean? Funny that you say that. Cause when I spent the month with Julian and Richard in Utrecht, I came back in October of last year, just thinking, wow, man, that was, I, I vlogged about it too. It's just like, this was a really cool opportunity to slow down. Oh yeah. I just realized that the world needs to slow down. And then what happened four months later, we all got forced to slow down and people are starting to see that there's a lot of things that are missing in our lives because we're going so fast and we're not really paying attention to stuff. I mean, I love riding a bike because you can ride your bike down the same street that you go flying by in your car and you notice things that you never would have noticed in the car because you're going slower. Yeah. And I saw that a lot in Utrecht. I just ride my bike and I would go down different streets I'd never been before. And I'm like, that's interesting. I never saw that before. But in general, it's like slowing down is, is so valuable. But I could go down this rabbit trail forever. Basically, what I'm doing right now is I'm expanding my, my coaching and my mentoring to just beyond fitness. Like I do a lot of like life coaching. Like actually most of my uh, one-on-ones from the people that are in my coaches community who do one-on-ones with me now, basically I'm doing a lot of life coaching. It's like, what are you doing right now? Where do you want to go? And I, I have such a broad base of experience. Like I've done so many different things and I'm able to relate with people that we've had a lot of success. Like I've had people graduate from working with me and I've helped them move on to other mentors. And I'm totally good with that. Like at the end of the day, I'm about people being better for the sake of themselves. And if I'm even part of their life for even like a month or two months, that's worth it to me. Cause I'm just, really the person that points people to where they need to go. So that's my new thing is I, I'm venturing outside of just fitness. I'm just wellness stuff, all the things. Like if you want to get better at anything, I invite people to reach out to me and we'll talk. And if it seems like a good fit, we can um, set up a Zoom call for like 15 minutes and see how I might be able to help. But uh, yeah, I'm, I'm moving outside of just fitness. Like I, I definitely have the life experience and all the things. And I, I don't need to be pigeonholed in that one industry. So that's kind of where I'm going. So if they want to reach out, just Ray Regno at Instagram. It's R-A-Y-R-E-G-N-O. Five letters. Everyone always wants to add an extra vowel for some reason. I don't know why. Regino, Oregano, Oregano, Gino. It's, <laughs> that's what happens. Yeah. I, I really liked your Instagram post on like why you, you love your name. Yeah. Yeah. Like I, anyone who's listening to this, I thoroughly advise you go try and track down that post. I can't remember what the actual like, picture was, but um, yeah, the one where Ray's talking about like, why he loves his name in the sense of like uniqueness that gives you it was my I, license plate yeah. Okay, yeah. License, yeah my license plate one yeah yeah that's super cool man well, Look, i'll send I, you the link to that thing so you could just post it in the description if you want to yeah cheers man i was about yeah. to ask for that. thank you 
All right, I feel like you've got a lot to get on with, so thank you so much. And I'll um, I'll drop you an email uh, with my Dropbox account because I need to go set that up apparently. So <laughs> no, I can just save it. I can just share it to you on Dropbox and you can download it. Oh yeah, no. Do I need to set up a Dropbox for myself or no, no? All right, cool. Well, yeah. once again, I've shown you how technologically unintelligent I am. So I can also help you with technology things if you want coaching on that kind of stuff. That's another. Right, trust me, after this, I will definitely be reaching out. This has been one of the best conversations I've had in a very long time. So awesome. thank you so much for reaching out. I really appreciate it. Thanks, Rogan. See you later. Right. Catch you later, man. Bye. Man, Ray is such a cool dude. He is just... <laughs> wow. I mean, what a great guy. And you know what? Like The subsequent conversations that we've had together um, since the recording of this have just been fantastic. And, you know, he's he's gotten married since we had this conversation. So, you know, congratulations to Ray. Congratulations to his beautiful fiance, now wife. You know, it's just, it's just fantastic. I'm so, so happy for him. Uh, and I cannot thank him enough for taking the time to have this conversation with me. So look, how can you guys help myself, help the podcast, help Ray? What I'd like you to do is wherever you find your podcast, whether that is Spotify, Apple, Stitcher, wherever, Please leave us a five-star rating and review and like and share and follow and do whatever it is you need to do in order to get this podcast in front of as many people as physically possible. I really think that, you know, Ray laid out some really great pieces of information and, you know, we both got into this coaching game to educate people, to help people and being able to do this for free and be able to give out this information that is easily digestible and easily accessible for people is just such a pleasure and a privilege. So do that to help grow the viewership you grow the viewership you help grow the podcast which creates more opportunities for both myself and for ray in the middle of the podcast i talked about um, how we both provide coaching services and look i'm not here to try and sell the point if you have taken nothing else away from this entire podcast it's that we are where we are because of the coaches that have impacted us and we want to be able to send that message forward and we want to be able to pay those dividends forward to people by helping as much as we can and maybe for some people that's going to end at start and end at listening to the podcast maybe those people are going to want to start you know investing in ebooks and content and things that we produce and maybe they're going to want to take up professional coaching from us and if you want to take that next step you want to evolve to that next level then all you need to do is get hold of ray and myself by looking at the description box and clicking on the links that speak to you you know something i said in the last podcast when i talked with jake is that coaching is for anyone but it isn't for everyone and that's totally fine because we're such different people as coaches and we want to be able to provide you with you know a message that you just vibe with we want to be able to create a brand that you vibe with and we want to be able to create a personal process in our personal coaching that makes you feel invested on a deeply personal level because ultimately we all know a lot about a lot but that doesn't mean that we're going to be the right person for you and that's totally chill and that's why I don't mind cross-promoting with all these other wonderful people that we have on the podcast because it's about helping people it's not about trying to do the hard sell it's just about trying to give people access to information coaching and ability to improve and become the strongest version of themselves so guys this has been the talking fit podcast thank you so much for listening thank you again ray regno for being a fantastic guest and i cannot wait to bring you the next episode all right guys thank you so much for listening i'll catch you next time